Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. According to the Brookline Institute, only 3% of family wealth survives three generations. Today, Lee Brower, founder of Empowered Wealth LLC and creator of the Empowered Wealth System of Family Leadership and True Wealth Preservation, is joining us. He is a noted authority on helping successful family-owned businesses create enduring legacies that flourish generation after generation. He is an accomplished teacher, author, mentor, and coach for entrepreneurs and CEOs and dedicated to revolutionizing how family-owned businesses create and nourish their wealth at home, at work, and beyond. Welcome, Lee. Delightful to be with you. The subject we're going to be talking about today is something that I think is not talked about enough, and that is doing more than just passing on money, passing on values. I've heard your discussion. You did a presentation for a group that we belong to, and I thought it was excellent. Just wanted to share it with our listeners. Why don't we just start out with what is your current thinking in today's world when you hear the term estate planning? That's a great question, Jim. To answer that question, let me give you just a little bit of my background. All I've been doing, really, I mean, when I started in this business, I started in the estate planning business years ago. As I progressed through that, I actually became disturbed by some worldwide statistics that perhaps many of your listeners have heard before, and that is that 97% of all family wealth rarely survives that third generation, especially business family wealth. It tends to dissipate before it ever gets through that third generation. And I thought that's rather disturbing. If we probably at this time in the world have more geniuses on the earth that have ever lived on the earth, why is it then that our industry can only see that 3% of family wealth moves into that third and fourth generation? It really disturbed me. In fact, I, I might even said I was in clinical depression because this was my life pursuit. And I started wondering, why am I doing this if this is what happens? So I start asking the question, why do we do estate planning? What is my stewardship responsibility to wealth? When does that stewardship end? When does it begin? And these were just intriguing questions, but they nagged at me. And over time, what really happened is I think that when you put a question out like that, when you start asking new questions, then you can start getting new answers. And when you start getting new answers, then hopefully you get new results. What I started to learn was that when you focus strictly on the money, the financial assets, and moving those from one generation to the next, and you forget those assets that you wouldn't trade for money, and you forget to include them in the equation, then that becomes part of the termites that start eating at the foundation of your family true wealth from generation to generation. Your listeners have probably heard the story about Cornelius Vanderbilt. They called him Commodore. He died in 1887. He was the richest man on the planet at that time. He was the Bill Gates of his day, if you will. And he looked at his son, Billy, before he died and said, Billy, take care of the fortune. And actually, Billy, the second generation, did a fairly good job. But by the time it was moving into the third generation, they saw that wealth dissipate. In fact, according to their own words, in 1972 or 73, they had the very first family reunion of the Vanderbilts since Cornelius died. Over 100 families in attendance and not one millionaire amongst the bunch. And so this was very disconcerting. Why has that happened? So when I really thought about it, I started thinking about estate planning. Is it really estate planning that we're talking about, or is it family leadership? I would say that when you ask me my current thinking on estate planning, I think they ought to ban the term estate planning, throw it away, because people will say, have you done your estate planning? Yes, I've done my estate planning several times. 
And the reason they've done it several times is because they can't just do estate planning. You have to live estate planning. And I think that really what we're talking about here is the role of family leadership. And in our studies, over two decades now of continuous studying families that have been successful in moving their financial and their true wealth from one generation to the next, it's because they've been able to focus on those assets that are worth more than their money, worth more than their financial, those assets that they wouldn't trade for more money. Now, Lee, you mentioned a Brookline Institute finding with that 3% being successfully passed to the third generation. I mean, that's pretty sad. Do you find that that's still true today? I mean, with all the technology and all the information and on the past, if you didn't write it down, now we can record things, we can do video, and it's so cheap to store that stuff. Do you see that improving with all the tools and technology, or is it still a challenge today? You know, it goes beyond being a challenge today. I'll tell you what, for two reasons. One reason is this, is that wealth is happening faster than it's ever happened before. You've seen instant millionaires. You could be a programmer at Facebook one day, and the next day you could be a multimillionaire. And so what's happened is, rather than that family wealth taking up to the third and fourth generation, we're now seeing that happen in the first and second generation. So first of all, we're seeing the faster turnover with certain kinds of wealth within families. It used to be the first generation went out by the sweat of their brow. They built something up. The second generation took it to the next level. The third generation was that generation that was born on third base and actually thought they hit a triple. You know, I mean, they really didn't understand what it took to get to third base. They just knew that they were there and they didn't want to lose it. What we're seeing now is we're seeing young millionaires in their 20s and early 30s, and those children, their children, have never had the experience of watching and learning from their fathers as they've grown. And so we're seeing this being compounded. We see this cycle turning faster. The second aspect of this, and this is really important for your listeners as well, and that is that in spite of the fact that we have more technology than we've ever had before, we are communicating less. We are capturing less. It used to be that when parents would come home at night without the distractions of TV and now the Internet and Facebook and all the other things that they have, they would sit down and write in their journals. They would capture that history. They would not only capture the history, but they would write down what they learned from it, and they would pass that on. That was the most precious thing that they could pass on from one generation to the next. And we as a society right now just are not doing enough of that. How do you answer that question? So as we work with families, most of our work is coaching families, business families, family businesses, and working with them is we try to work with them to develop traditions within that family, systems, if you will, that allow them to capture their life's experiences and the value from it. If I ask the question, I can ask your listeners this. I mean, which would you rather have? Would you rather have Jack Nicklaus's clubs and trophies or would you rather have Jack Nicholas's swing and course knowledge? And we become so focused on taking care, so to speak, of our children, making sure we provide for our children to pass on the clubs and the trophies, that perhaps we're not spending enough time or we don't have systems in place or we don't have the right coaches that are helping us get systems in place that will allow us to transfer the swing and the course knowledge. And then what happens is that next generation, once the clubs and the trophies get divided up, or they get skip a generation down to the next generation, and then sooner or later they start fighting over who gets the driver and who gets the putter, and the family starts to dissipate. So, Lee, where do you start with a family? And I think families are so busy today that they don't even realize they have the problem of this risk of not being able to pass on legacy to the next generations. How do you start? I've asked myself that many, many times. I asked our clients that. I think on our surveys and what we've learned from our clients, what we've learned from our studies, if I could identify in one word 
one word, the keystone, if you will, of those families that are successful in transferring on their true wealth, their empowered wealth, the keyword would be gratitude. It's such a simple concept, and some people say, oh, that's fluff. Let me tell you, that is not fluff. If you can instill principles of gratitude as opposed to principles of entitlement, you have a much greater chance of being able to pass on your true wealth into future generations and pass on those principles. You mentioned in your opening statement the concept of passing on values. I think that that's a trend that's just as dangerous. The concept and the thinking behind it is just as dangerous as to think that traditional estate planning helps pass on your wealth to future generations. I think that the concept of passing on values may have more of a negative effect than it has a positive effect. Because first and foremost, I don't think you can pass on values. I don't think you can dictate values through paper, through a document, through a trust. I think what has to happen is that you have to develop systems within your family to be able to capture those things that value most. And so when you look at a principle like gratitude, you say, well, how do we start developing systems like gratitude within our family? Well, I can share with you stories after stories on families that we've coached and that we've worked with, but I can tell you from my own family. In our own family, for example, before we can complain or say something negative, we have to say three positive things that happen during the day. That's really hard, coming home from work. We all do it, right? We come home from work, we walk through the door, how was your day, honey? Oh, man, you're not going to believe what happened today. Ah, 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 three things. Now, what happens after you've shared three things? What happened to the negativity? It's moved away. And so by identifying and teaching a culture of where you can actually capture and identify the positive things that are happening in your life changes within there the attitude of where you're going. And that deep appreciation allows you to cling on to those things that matter most, the swing, if you will, and the course knowledge. In our home, we have a tradition of sitting around the table. And when we're all together, the first thing we do is we share positive experiences, three positive experiences that happened in that day or since the last time we sat down together. And when we first started doing this, we would get a response from our kids like, you know, whatever. But over time, all of a sudden, we'd see a transition when maybe one of our kids that absolutely was the most reluctant, but by staying in gratitude with him, thank you for thinking about it. Thank you for contemplating and trying to find some spot. We know it's tough today. All of a sudden, they say, can I be first? And when that happens, a transition has happened, and you've now instilled a principle within that child that's more valuable than any of the gold you could ever transfer to them because they're able to not only recognize positive experiences but capture them and then share them as well. So learning how to capture and then how to give them away, how to share them, allow those experiences to have a life of their own that will outlive them. Hey, we're going to take a short break, and we come back, we're going to have more discussion on what we can do to instill an attitude of gratitude in the home. Please stay tuned. If you want more information on this program from your real wealth professional, just click the More Information button so they know to contact you. Welcome back as we continue to visit with Lee Brower, founder of Empowered Wealth and creator of the Empowered Wealth System of Family Leadership and True Wealth Preservation. Hey, Lee, before the break, you were talking about some of the systems that you talk to families about to help empower those families to pass along that attitude of gratitude. Are there some other systems that you use to help in this wealth transition and preservation for families? Yes. And what happens is we end up with our families learning as much from families that we coach as we do from ourselves. And one of the fastest ways to develop systems within your family, processes within your family, unique processes, is to identify certain principles that you're willing to agree upon. I've never met a family yet that had identical values. Now, people may say, oh, yeah, well, our family does. Now, think about it. You may say, we stand for integrity. But each one of your family members is going to have a different definition of integrity to various degrees. 
So if you can get your family to agree to certain principles, principles are different than values. Principles give us the guidelines, the agreements where we agree. They're not rules. They're agreements where we agree on how we are going to make decisions, how we agree on things that we're going to do going forward, how we deal with things. When you have principles, principles allow you to align your differing values, to align your values that may differ ever so slightly in some cases and dramatically in others. But the principles allow you to work together, whether it's in the workplace with your team and your company that you're working with, or whether it's at home, by adapting principles. Principles in our home, first, number one, begin with gratitude. And that's a principle that we always start with. So whether it's when we're sitting down with our children trying to discipline them, to have a discussion about their bad grades, to have a discussion about anything, we always begin with gratitude. If our children have an agreement, if we have agreement with our children on what time their curfew is, and if they arrive on time, then we also make sure one of our principles is to always say thank you, to begin with gratitude. So we get them to say thank you for being on time. You don't know how far that goes to building trust with your parents. So we reinforce certain principles that are values-based behind that so that you can kind of continue it. Another thing to do is traditions and then to name experiences. The naming process, if we always do something that's the same, name it, because then it creates value for that family for generations to come. We have lots of traditions within our family. Traditions are extremely critical for capturing and expressing gratitude during the period of time that we call Thanksmas. That's the period of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, for example. We have a tradition in our family where we lay out a beautiful white linen tablecloth, big one. And then as our children, and we have grandchildren now, and their friends and cousins and my brother, their cousins, everybody, they come by our house on that white. We have colored markers that they trace their hand on, and they write their name and the date, and they write an experience that they're grateful for that happened during the year. What happens now is the little kids come back next year and they measure their hand on top of it. They see how much they've grown. They become more excited about it. Instead of sitting around on Thanksgiving talking about why Detroit can't win a football game, we're able to sit around and talk about, gosh, Dad, I didn't know you did that. And just watch your dad who's in his 80s and 90s and watch your grandpa. Watch your little children trace their hands and capture these stories and share them. It's something that if I said to my family, I want you to go out this year and send me a story of something really happened, send me an experience, and it would never happen. It would be like herding cats. But now, if they can't get to our house, they have a ship to tablecloth so they can put their hand on it and we're able to catch it. Capturing stories, capturing experiences is a form of gratitude that we're able to capture and to share within the family and bank it so that we have it available for us to withdraw at any time in the future. We give those stories a life of their own. Let's say you've got a family, they've got their business, they're maybe looking at transitioning their business, they've got fully grown adult children where they've never implemented any of this through the years. Where does a family like that start? Is it possible or is it too late? Never too late. Never, ever too late. It's only too late if you've quit loving them. As long as you love your family, then it's never too late. And you do it by developing traditions. There's so many advisors out there that say they do values-based planning. They come in and say, we do this or we do that. What we're talking about is a relationship with these families that can go on and work with these families and coach them through these things. So if you have a family that's never had this experience before, Let's create an experience for them. Let's create a mindset shift, an empowered wealth mindset shift within them. And if you can create that mindset shift, that they have this empowered wealth attitude, that they understand the things that value most, then help them craft a family meeting where the patriarch of the family and the matriarch of the family can lead that, perhaps under your guidance, and be able to then take them through that family retreat in a way and introduce to the family 
new concepts or new experiences. I had a family just like that. We were brought in. They had just sold their business for several hundred million dollars. They had one daughter in London. They had one daughter in New York. We met in Scottsdale, Arizona in the summer in June. It was 120 degrees. And their daughters, even though they were grown up, they all showed up. You talk about distraction. They all showed up in their bikinis and came in and could care less about this meeting. They were arguing over, why did you bring your boyfriend? You always bring a different boyfriend every single time you come here. Then he leaves and you have another one. And and they were just yada, yada, yada. What really happened there is when we sat down and walked through them and talked to them about the things that mattered most, and then at the end of this, their dad and mom gave them a box. It was wrapped up. It was a beautiful box. They unwrapped it, and inside was a treasure box. And then they read to them a verse from the Bible that said, where a man's heart is, there you should find your treasure. And they asked them, what do you think that means? And we had a rich discussion. In fact, there were some tears and everything else. And they said, okay, now you can open up your treasure box. Now, they didn't know what to expect. They knew Dad had just sold his business. They might have had different expectations, but they opened up, and inside was some pieces of papyrus paper and a pencil. And there was a note from their mom and dad to each of the children. And it started out, I remember when. And so they wrote down, I remember when, and they wrote down about an actual experience that they had with that adult child when they were little or sometime in the past. And then they asked each of the children to write an experience about that they had with everybody else in the room, and it took quite a while. Then they read them out loud. Tears were flowing, but they developed a tradition that carries on to this day. And that tradition is on the birthday of each family member, everybody writes an I remember when and puts it in the box. I know that we've done this in our own family, and I might be coaching someplace or meeting with a client, and I'll open up my briefcase, and there's a note from one of my kids with an I remember when. Because it not only happens on their birthday, but you can happen spontaneously at any time. We've been doing this long enough now that I had to buy my wife last year a bigger treasure box because she gets more than me for some reason, (laughs) but her box is full. And so then he told his children, when life gets tough, think about what this box means to you. When life gets tough, you can go back to your treasure box, you can open it up, and you can read about the things that matter most to you. And so over years, this builds the very first beginning then of their very first tradition. They had no traditions, no cohesiveness, no glue other than their last name as a family. And now they're starting to develop traditions, and they continue to add to it and add to it and add to it. It's never, ever, ever too late. Now, you discuss some of these tools in your book, The Brower Quadrant. Is that true? Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about that book and how people can get a hold of that. The easiest way to get hold of that book is through Amazon. Just go right online. You can order it on the Kindle version, or you can get the book. You can always go onto our website and order it directly from our store as well. Go to empoweredwealth.com. E-M-P-O-W-E-R-E-D-W-E-A-L-T-H, empoweredwealth.com, and go into the store. And you can order that. You can order Gratitude Rocks. There's some other books on there that we recommend. And we'll be coming out with our new book. It'll be available electronically in the next 30 to 60 days, and then as soon as it's printed thereafter, in which we go deeper into all these different topics. The book has been very interesting because I did not want to promote it. Because of our previous background and the book that I was part of before, The Secret, that sold $45 million or something like that, I did not want to do the book tour thing. I just wanted to write the book and kind of go on. And so all of a sudden, it seems like in the last six months, we've sold out three times. We've had to republish. So it's taken off. We're looking forward to our next one coming out as well. I think most people just don't know where to start. They know there's this underlying, I've described as a big elephant in the room. Everybody knows there needs to be these discussions, but it's easier to just put that stuff off till another day, till the time's just right, and there's no time like the present. I agree with that. It's been so rewarding. I love what I do. You know, I wake up in the morning, I jump out of my bed. The market's insatiable for this right now, and the people are ready for it. 
people are willing, they're starting to understand that there's certain things in life that are important, but there's some things that are essential. What happens is we get so caught up saying yes so often to so many things, we have to start asking ourselves, when I say yes to something, what am I saying no to? And really identify what are the priorities for us in our life, what are those things that are essential, and understanding what is essential for us, then that gives us the power to say no to some very important things because there's a bigger yes burning inside. We really appreciate having you on board. I think this is a message people can't hear enough, and hopefully it prompts them to take some steps in the family and sharing that and passing it on for future generations to share. Well, I hope so, too. Somebody out there is listening. Somebody out there is going to take advantage of it, and that makes me very happy. Well, thank you very much, and we look forward to having you again in the near future. All right. Thank you for the opportunity, guys, and keep up the great work. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.